Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm coming to you after the Hawks' 130-122 win over the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, let's start with the three stars of the game. And for the third star, I think DeAndre Bembry is the choice. There are nights where we pick some players who aren't necessarily the top scorers as the, the three stars of the game, but tonight's not going to be that night. Last night was, uh, but tonight DeAndre had 17 points. He was making his shots. He had a stretch in the second half where it just kind of felt like he and Ben Simmons were just kind of trying to go at each other, and DeAndre held his own. Uh, you know, for the for the game, 17 points, made six of nine shots, hit a three, six rebounds, four assists, a steal. And in that stretch where he was going toe-to-toe with Ben Simmons, things looked good. He he was doing stuff on the court and looking well. The Hawks made a number of highlight-level plays in this game, but I think my favorite was Bembry going at Simmons in that stretch where they were going toe-to-toe. He collected a loose ball, took it to the top of the key, gave Simmons an in-and-out dribble, followed by a spin move when he kept his dribble alive, and then he just kept Simmons pinned on his hip as he went in for an easy layup. That was just an outstanding move. For the second star, let's go with John Collins. 25 points, made 10 of 18 shots, 8 rebounds, 2 blocks, and one day removed from a loss in San Antonio, I think it's clear what Collins means to this team. The geometry of the game is just 100% different when John Collins is out there. The angles and the alleys and the driving lanes for Trey Young are just entirely different when John Collins is on the court because defenses have to respect that lob threat. And when they do, that's space for Trey Young to work, space for him to go get his floater, space for him to drive and attract help defenses that let him do driving kicks. Uh, it all just works so much better when John Collins is out there. Tonight, the offense looked entirely different than it looked last night in San Antonio. John Collins had 18 blocks in his first 47 games. Since then, in his last 12 games, Collins has 20 blocks. So he has more blocks in the last 12 games than he had in the first 47. Some guy, and let me reiterate here very carefully, some guy asked Lloyd Pierce after the game about Collins' recent spree of blocks. John's shot blocking has been up the last 10, 12, 13 games. Is there something you're seeing different from him, or is it just him just kind of walking in a better situation with block shots? Or yeah, I think our coaches have all, in, in different ways, spoken to him about making plays on the defensive end. Uh, I think early in the year, his emphasis was trying not to foul and trying not to make a mistake, and now he's just, he's just aggressive going after it. And, and when you do that, you end up making the right play. Um, so. He's gone from being cautious to being overly aggressive, and now you're seeing him block shots and chase down blocks. And um, you know he's too athletic not to. And you know rim protection is one of the areas we have to address and try and get better at. 
but if he can step that up as far as his game, you know, it just helps fuel our break and we can get out and run from there. Collins was also asked about the trend, and he gave an answer kind of similar to the one that he gave us in mid-March when we asked about his fourth quarter blocks. And he tied it back to health. Yeah, um, you know, my body's feeling like it, you know, usually did coming back from the injury. It took, took me a while to get back to where, you know, I, um, I was, and I feel like I'm getting there, you know, kind of late going into the summer, but I feel good and um, feel bouncy. So we mentioned the shooting, the rebound, and the shot blocking. Collins had a terrific game, but we'd be remiss if we didn't add one other thing to that, which is that Collins is a terrific receiver of passes. If he were a football player, he'd be a Hall of Fame wide receiver. I mean, his hands, his footwork, his timing, his preparation to get ready for some of these, these passes is just stupendous. You know, on one play tonight, the Hawks are out in transition. And Trey Young is probably 20 feet behind Collins, both sprinting to the under end of the court, basically directly behind Collins. Like Collins is 20 feet dead in front of Trey Young, not to any side one way or the other, but just truly straightforward in front of him. Trey puts a lob up that's going to land somewhere, you know, in the painted area. And he throws this thing before Collins is looking, way before Collins is looking. And so Collins takes another two, three, four steps. And as he's getting there, he's looking over his left shoulder, over his right shoulder, knowing that a pass is coming. And then finally he gets it, puts it up, puts it in. But just, you know, the fact that Trey Young can throw a pass a full second before Collins is looking and reasonably expect that Collins is going to catch it. It's a testament to, to Trey Young's creativity, but way more than that, it's unbelievable how good of a pass catcher John Collins is. So just a moment of appreciation for that because it, it really is uncanny. And it goes in part to the fact that the Hawks haven't turned the ball over a lot lately. Uh, they've been really careful with it. Trey Young, in particular, his turnovers have gone way down. We could talk about it more when we get to Trey Young in a second, but in the last five games, Trey Young has 53 assists and seven turnovers. That's just a ridiculous assist to turnover ratio from Trey Young. Uh, pretty marvelous to see, and some of that credit has to go to his main pass-catching threat, and that's John Collins. I went to a, a third party here, not Trey Young, not John Collins, but I asked Torian Prince after the game, you know, what were some of the keys? Because, you know, part of it is Trey Young, part of it's John Collins, but really as a whole team, the Hawks have been very, very good at not turning the ball over. You know, we mentioned Jalen Adams last night and the loss to the Spurs was a super creative passer without making any mistakes. And the Hawks in this game were able to maintain a four-point halftime lead in part because they only turned it over three times in the first half. If you only turn it over three times, good things are usually bound to happen from that. Uh, for the game, the Hawks had 11 turnovers, but just three in the first half. And overall, the turnovers have been way down since the All-Star break.
but here's what Torian Prince had to say. Has there been any key in terms of the number of turnovers that have gone way down? Seems like over the last month or so that it's been clean basketball where you hardly ever turn the ball over. Yeah, we just click it. Um, know each other's tendencies more. Um, know where each other likes to shoot the ball. Know what to do in certain situations before it arises. Um, so I guess you could just say we're getting smarter as individuals and we're applying it well as a team. Okay, number one star, it's not hard. Trey Young, 33 points, 12 assists, 7 rebounds, made 12 of 18 shots, 2 of 6 threes. He went, I want to say, 47 minutes of game time without committing any turnovers, and then he had two in the final minute. He was kind of bummed out about that after the game. In terms of milestones, he added to his second place finish in terms of the number of 30-point, 10-assist games that he had as a rookie. This was his seventh such game. He only trails Oscar Robertson in that particular statistic. We mentioned a moment ago that part of the reason the Hawks were successful in this game is that they only had three turnovers in the first half. They were able to score 72 first-half points because they weren't making miscues. And they weren't making miscues because, for the most part, uh, when he was in there, Trey Young was running the show. He had pick and rolls going, and the Sixers really didn't have any answers for it. After the game, the Sixers paid some pretty high compliments. Brett Brown said, I thought in the second half, pick and roll defense was challenged every time with Trey Young. Really, it's one of our weaknesses. We are trying to find answers with people on the ball to guard those dynamic point guards, which he is. And then J.J. Redick was also complimentary. When he was asked what was wrong with the Sixers' defense, he started by saying that the Hawks' offense was good. I think they have a great offense, first of all. There's a lot of movement. They space the floor well. And John Collins, Trey Young, that two-man action presents a lot of problems. I think Trey is just playing at another level as far as making reads right now out of pick and roll. So high compliments from the 76ers with respect to Trey Young. Uh, the pick and roll with him and John Collins was very good. There were times that they were trying, the Sixers were trying to defend that action with TJ McConnell and Jonah Bolden and not a whole lot of help. And it kind of went as you would expect. Trey Young and John Collins are going to win that matchup 99 times out of 100. So the Sixers clearly missed Joel Embiid in this game. Uh, if Embiid plays, it's going to have an entirely different flavor and context. But if you take Joel Embiid off the floor, the Hawks can play with this Sixers team. They they can do things. They've shown that twice this season. Before the game, Lloyd Pierce was asked about Trey Young, and here's what he said. You know, I think he he understands the hardest thing I think in the NBA offensively is understanding spacing and then defensively positioning where to be at all times. When the ball moves, what where, where do you need to move? Um, offensively, I think he's mastered the spacing side, especially when he has the basketball. Now, when he doesn't have the basketball, we got a long way to go. Um, and that's just part of his growth. And, and, and he's not used to playing without the basketball. But I think he's done a, he's done a marvelous job of, of, he knows where his outlets are and he knows how to get it to him. And our guys are hand, hands ready, shot ready every time he has the basketball. Um, so I, if you would watch me in the first quarter, I try and sit down about the first six minutes and 
I sit down to let him know that he's running the show and he gets to call his heads and he gets to, that's my way of trying to empower him. And so now when I go to him, I say, we got to get Kevin involved. We need to run this. And, um, but I got to give him, I got to give him an opportunity to do so. And that's part of, you know, we call it a partnership. Trey and I have a partnership. That's part of our partnership is, is empowering him and then being able to coach him. And, and he's got to trust that when I criticize or coach, um, that I'm just trying to help him. And I've got to trust that when I sit back for the first six minutes, he knows what he's doing in, his, in terms of play calling. Some interesting thoughts there from Pierce in terms of what Trey Young does with the ball, what he does without it, what he does on defense, and how Lloyd Pierce tries to empower Trey Young. Interesting game from Jimmy Butler tonight. Uh, made 5 of 11 shots, 16 points. But just in terms of style of play, it felt like he was in full bulldoze mode. Like if he had the ball and he saw he was being guarded by Kevin Herter, which was Herter's primary defensive assignment for the night, you know, every time Jimmy Butler got the ball in those situations, he was looking to drive and make contact with Herter. So after the game, I asked Lloyd Pierce about that. It looked like Jimmy Butler made a concerted effort to kind of get into Kevin Herter's body tonight. Over the course of his rookie season, what have you seen from Herter when players try to do that to him? Well, that's just part of his, that'll be part of our, his focus in the offseason is um, teams, you know, putting an X on, on Kevin and saying, you, you know, the best way to go at him is to go at him with strength and physicality. Um, you know, he, he's going to have to guard bigger two guards and sometimes small forwards, and that's going to be an area of growth for him moving forward. I, I think he's a pretty good defender. I do know that size and strength bother him, and that's an area he's got to look to improve in the offseason, and that'll be a focal point for us. But I know he competes, and that's the biggest thing right now. Just consistently compete, and we'll worry about how to get that better. And credit to Kevin Herter. You know, he competed in those situations today. And offensively, he did a whole lot for the Hawks. Made 6 of 12 shots, made 2 of 4 threes, 5 assists against 0 turnovers. And, you know, he did what he could against Jimmy Butler. He's going to get better at that. He's going to get stronger. He's going to learn the tricks of, of keeping a guy like Butler off his body. But tonight it was interesting to see Butler take that tactic and you know, just the whole picture of that brings up something that I think is interesting, which is that you know, when you look at the Hawks and when you look at their defensive numbers, I think there are times when the Hawks have valued player development over what might be the optimal situation in different circumstances. Tonight, for example, when, when Jimmy Butler was in full blast mode, it might have made sense to switch up the matchups and put Torian Prince on Jimmy Butler and let Kevin Herter take a turn on Tobias Harris. Uh, you know, pick your poison. Those two are both fantastic scorers, but I think Butler is a more physical player, and tonight was definitely a more physical player. And it would have been interesting just to see how it would have looked with the crisscross matchup there. And there are a lot of nights and a lot of situations where I think the Hawks could exploit some cross matches defensively better than they did. You know, if it was a one-game playoff and you just say, okay, 
you got to win this game. What's your defensive matchup uh, choice? The Hawks might play it differently than what they do, but right now, that's not their goal. They're not trying to win a one-game playoff. They're trying to acquire player skill. They're trying to make player development happen. They're trying to teach these young guys how to guard players. Uh, it happened the other night against the Blazers. You know, Trey Young, go out there and guard Damian Lillard. That might not be the best matchup for Trey Young. You know, it might be better to take Trey and stash him in the corner and let him guard a wing. Uh, so, in a weird way, to extrapolate a little bit, I also think that affects the rookie of the year race a little bit. You, know, you look at some of Trey's defensive numbers, those numbers would probably look better if he were stashed on the wing against some less effective wing players when, when possibilities like that exist. But that's not what the Hawks are trying to do. In almost all cases against almost all point guards, they're putting Trey Young out there against the best point guards and the all-star point guards and saying, hey, guard this guy. You're going to learn. You know, Next year when you play this all-star point guard, it'll be the second time you see him and not the first. So, you know, the metrics of, of Trey Young defensive player might not look great at times, but you have to keep in mind, I think, a little bit that they're not trying to optimize the math with Trey Young. They're trying to take it as a science and, and look at it as an educational process. This is not to say that Trey Young is a good defender. He's not. But at the same time, some context with how it gets played out, and why the Hawks are taking this approach with respect to player development. I thought Torian Prince looked explosive in this game. He looked like he he had his maximal athleticism. He's not the world's most athletic player, but uh, you know, in terms of what kind of athleticism you're going to get from Torian, he looked strong and healthy and bouncy tonight after a couple of games missed with foot soreness, so it was good to see him come back. I think before the game, Lloyd Pierce said, you know, that he was, he should be fine at this point. Uh, but it was just good to see it on the court and happening. He, he missed one very ambitious dunk, but he also had a play in the fourth quarter where it was a contested rebound and he drew a foul because he basically just outleaped the competition. So it was, it was good to see Torian uh, doing strong things out there. And we mentioned John Collins as a factor in changing the geometry of the floor for Trey Young. He didn't hit all of his shots tonight. He only went 4 for 12 from the field. But just the fact that he's out there and that he's a threat from 3. You know, it should also be mentioned that Torian Prince changes the geometry of the floor for Trey Young. And you could feel that out there tonight. Justin Anderson... Another strong game. When he's out there making threes and blocking shots, you know it's going to be a good night. For a wing, he's an outstanding shot blocker. He had one tonight where he just completely stonewalled Ben Simmons at the rim. Uh, a breathtaking play. And, you know, you almost wonder a little bit, how, how did he not get used a little bit more earlier in the season? Uh, but you don't know what happens behind the scenes. You don't know how... Justin Anderson, you know, what is his readiness in October? Well, we didn't see him on the floor, so we don't really know. But uh, it's fun to see him out there now. It looks like he can do a lot of things. And when his shot is falling, he's a pretty potent player. Vince Carter missed the game due to load management. He played last night in San Antonio. Didn't play tonight. 
But instead, since he was already missing the game, he joined the Fox Sports South broadcast team for the evening. And it's quite clear that that Vince is going to be a magnificent broadcaster in retirement whenever he chooses to retire. However, he was quite clear in the pregame show that he is not planning to retire anytime soon. He said in maybe a more explicit manner than he has at any point this season, he does want to play somewhere in the NBA next season, whether it be with the Hawks or some other team. He does want to play next season. So that will be interesting to see. But it was fun seeing Vince on the call for the Hawks tonight. He does what he does very well. There was a light moment in the first quarter, a couple minutes to go in the first quarter. Lloyd Pierce walks towards the scorer's table and, you know, sitting a row behind the scorer's table is the broadcast team. He looks at Vince and kind of gestures for him to come in the game. And Vince just started laughing. Uh, But a fun evening for Vince on the broadcast. The Hawks should, in all likelihood, be the team in the NBA with the fifth worst record in terms of what their lottery odds will be and how likely they are to jump up into the top four picks of the NBA draft. However, Dallas lost at the buzzer tonight. And if you look at the Hawks' schedule for the remaining three games, it gets a little bit dicey. There's a game in Orlando. There's a game in Milwaukee. And then they finish out the season at home next Wednesday against the Indiana Pacers. It's questionable in terms of how much incentive Milwaukee and Indiana will have to win those games. They may prioritize staying healthy over trying to win those games. We saw when Milwaukee visited Atlanta last week, Coach Bud shutting down a ton of players, all of his best players on his roster while he started Bonzi Colson and DJ Wilson and Tim Frazier. He may do that again, and that could impact the Hawks' chances of winning over the next few games. And if the Hawks win out, it's quite possible that Dallas could also lose out. And then all of a sudden, those standings that you know seem to have an unimpeachable gap actually close quite quickly. So it will be interesting to see if the Hawks pull out the game Friday in Orlando, because if they don't, the last couple of games may be a little bit of a crapshoot in terms of what's out there on the floor and how competitive the product that the Hawks are facing is. All right, that's all I got for this one. Rate, subscribe, review. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you again uh, listening to ATL and 29. Thanks for listening.